uh, good morning. Welcome again to CBC and welcome home, church family. And if you're a guest today, we're so glad you're with us. We hope that your time with us will be encouraging and insightful. And for those of you watching online right now, we're glad you're with us as well. Well, seasonally, we are now turning into Christmas. Believe it or not, it just seems like we were celebrating New Year's, right? And now here we are at the end of another year. And Christmas is a great time. I love Christmas personally. I love the uh, opportunity to celebrate the birth of Christ. I love the meaningful traditions and the symbolism. And, you know, we're big on that as a family. So Friday we went, and with the beautiful weather, we went and found a tree and cut it down. And if anyone's landscape is missing a tree, it wasn't us. Um, and, uh, you know, just got the lights out, just got things going. We, we love that and just love, love Christmas time. Three of the words that we see a lot around Christmas time. Uh, some of the most popular words, we'll hear them in Christmas songs, we'll see them on cards and decorations. Uh, these are the three words. It's joy, peace, and hope. We see those words all the time during Christmas. Those are very powerful words. They're the words that our hearts long to see become a reality in our life. We truly want to have a joy that even though things around us can get squirrely, uh, there's, there's a steadfastness uh, in our heart. There's a peace in our heart that even though chaos surrounds us, there's still a peace and there's a hope. There's a hope in what God has brought to us for eternity that we hope in and also what might be around the, the next corner if we're going through a rough season. And so we truly love uh, joy and peace and hope, but a lot of us aren't experiencing those things because there's some circumstances in our life or consequences or just dynamics that we're going through. And so why don't we experience the joy, the peace, and the hope like God really intends for us to enjoy? Well, some of it is the outside things that we have no control over. When those circumstances come into our life that we don't have any control over, they start to erode our joy a little bit. They start to fizzle out our hope and our peace a little bit. But there's, I think, a greater culprit I think there's a greater culprit, and that culprit is not something on the outside we have no control over. It's something on the inside that we do have control over. So some of us are not experiencing the peace and the hope and the joy that God has for us because we've got this culprit going on inside of our hearts, and it's ungratefulness. It's ungratefulness. See, gratitude is a critical attribute for our soul. It's a spiritual discipline that's vital to help us hold on to the joy and the hope and the peace that are ours in Christ. And so we need to constantly be cultivating gratitude in our hearts. Now, I know we just got done with Thanksgiving, and some of you do this type of thing at Thanksgiving, but I just want to have a moment of, of thankfulness. It's not something we just do one time a year, right? Uh, this is something we should be practicing all the time. But I want you just to break the barrier for a minute. I want you to talk to a person next to you. Some of you are like, oh, no, I'm freaking out already. Um, stranger, neighbor, family member, and just take about 10 to 15 seconds and just take turns sharing some of the things that you're grateful for in your life. Okay, go. 10, 15 seconds, go. All right, that's good. That's good. That's a great sound. So let me change the question. Now, you don't have to share this with your neighbor. I'm not going to stop you, right? I'm not going to prevent you. But just think about this one. I'm going to change the question by adding one word. What are some of the things that you are most grateful for? See, you don't have to share that right now, but just think about that for a second. We, we typically have a long list of things that we're thankful for. For me, I'm thankful for taste. I love taste. Like, God didn't have to make food tastes good. It could have been a boring experience, right? And some of us have been practicing that uh, taste for the last few days very, you know, uh, robustly, okay? So, I mean, think like chocolate and coffee and steak 
and bacon. And for my vegetarian friends, like, you know, no, I just, I'm playing. A good salad, corn, edamame, asparagus with lots of butter. And anyways, I love taste, but, but my hope, my joy, my peace can't be rooted in taste, Right? So, so what, am I, what am I most grateful for? And you should start to think about things you're most grateful for. Like, I, I go, man, my family. Like, out of all the earthly things, like, my family is the most important, right? And some of you have that. So let me just put one more caveat on the question. Of the things that made your first two lists, is there anything on that list that can't be taken away from you? When you think about all the things that make your thankful list, is there anything on that list that can't be taken from you. Because if you think about it, all the things that we're thankful for, rightfully so, and, and, and all those things are blessings, but there has to be something that we're most thankful for that actually can't be taken away. Because even though my family is precious to me, one tragedy, one sickness, right? Some of us know that firsthand. Like, oh, I'm so, I'm most thankful for my job. You can lose your job. Like, all those things are on our list that we are extremely and rightfully grateful for. Most of those things probably can be taken away from us. And if my joy and my hope and my peace is rooted in something that can be taken away, then where goes my hope and my peace and my joy once that's taken away? And so what are we most grateful for? We should be most grateful for that which cannot be taken away. And so that obviously is going to lead you down the path to God. God can't be taken away from you. He's constant. The promises of God, whether that's the salvation of your souls, eternity, heaven, uh, the forgiveness that comes through Christ, um, all these things can't be taken away because once you're in Christ, they're locked in. And even though we lose things here that we love and enjoy and are very meaningful to us, there are things waiting from God that can't be taken away. So if we're wise, we will be most thankful for that which cannot be taken away. And so that's going to lead us eventually to what we're talking about in this season is Christ. Now, Jesus was the first Christmas gift, and that gift brought forgiveness and redemption to mankind, and that can't be taken away. That's for eternity. And so if we're wise, we're going to realize that a Christ centered gratitude. A Christ-centered gratitude will give us the unshakable joy and peace and hope that we all long for. And so Christmas is a season where we are refreshed by the reminder of the coming of Christ and the unshakable joy, peace, and hope to come with the fulfillment of God's promise of a Savior for humanity, that a light would shine in the darkness, that God became man and dwelt among us, and now God's love and his grace have become manifest and incarnated in Christ. And now we can receive forgiveness that outside of Jesus, forgiveness isn't possible. When we come to understand like good works will not earn God's forgiveness, right? Going to church, doing religious things, religious duties, not going to earn God's forgiveness. Only a relationship with Jesus can give us forgiveness. And once you have Christ, then you have forgiveness and that can't be taken away. And so we need to be most grateful for that. And as we kick off our Christmas series today, we start in a very appropriate place of being grateful for the coming of Christ. Tis the season to be grateful. And so I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start with verse 46. And we're going to be looking at a very real moment, how the birth of Christ brought gratitude from the beginning and how it was modeled 
and demonstrated for us by none other than Mary, the one who would carry the Christ child. And so as you're turning to Luke 1, let me just frame it in for those of you who are watching online or here in the room that might be unfamiliar or you need to be reacquainted with what's about to happen. Now, long before we walked into a store and were blasted with the consumerism of Christmas, long before we cut down trees and decorated them or bought fake trees and decorated them, long before we gathered with family with good food around tables, long before we sang jingle bells and joy to the world and silent night, there was a teenage girl a low-to-middle-class teenage girl, Jewish girl, living in the first century. And with this girl was this crazy story of an angel and a miraculous conception by God himself. And this information was going to be a bombshell to her fiancé, Joseph. And this information was going to cause a rift in the relationship with her mom and her dad. It was going to trash her relationship and her small community of Nazareth. She was looking down the road of what this possibly could mean for her life, going, you know what? Maybe I'm going to be a single mom. Maybe I'm not going to have the resources I need. God's given me this mission. God's given me this calling. I don't really know how it's going to play out. Like, I'm trusting God, but I really don't know how this is going to play out. And so there had to be fear and confusion mixed with the joy and the gratitude and all the other things we see in her heart. And so this was all spinning Gabriel, when he was talking to with, with her, said, but your cousin, your relative Elizabeth, she's also going to be experiencing a miraculous conception. And he told her that this old cousin, right, 70s plus, and her husband, Zacharias, now are pregnant miraculously by the Lord, has given them the ability to conceive a son. And so they're going to be giving birth to a little baby who would be known as John the Baptist, the one who would come and herald and, and forerunner for Christ. And so uh, Mary's like, well, I want to check this out. And so she left Nazareth and traveled 80 to 100 miles south, close to the Dead Sea. She left the region up by Galilee and traveled south almost to the Dead Sea to meet with Elizabeth. And just imagine the state of Mary's mind and heart when she's showing up to visit with Elizabeth. And all of a sudden, Elizabeth turns around when she heard Mary's voice. And little baby John was having a dance party inside Elizabeth's womb, right? because of what was going on. And Elizabeth starts to burst out in praise and celebration and, and honoring Mary for her obedience and all that God said. Like, Elizabeth didn't look at the Twitter feed and see, like, Mary's coming, she's pregnant. You know, she had no, how would she even know? And so as Mary showed up and had this affirmation waiting for her, God was waiting for her with this affirmation. What did Mary do? She burst out in gratitude and praise, and that's where we're at. So look with me at Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Look what Mary does. It says, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and 
he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now this section of scripture, a lot of you know this is called the Magnificat. The Magnificat means, is Latin for magnifier, to make great or to celebrate or to praise or lift up. We might say brag on. Mary is bragging on God in this moment. And what's happening is as she's doing that, she's celebrating out of gratitude his faithfulness and goodness to her. And when we understand that what Mary prays and celebrates can also be used uh, in our life as a template, it can bring us to a place where we see the birth of Christ a little bit like she was seeing the birth of Christ, something to celebrate God's goodness and be grateful for. And so she was filled with this joy. We can see it. We can hear it. Even as we read that passage, which also means that she was filled with hope and she was filled with peace. And we see it unfold into the two-part expression, a part that was personal and a part that was wider. And so let's just look at that together. This first part of the Magnificat is basically Mary saying, I'm filled with joy, hope, and peace because of how God has shown himself to me. She's celebrating how God, you know, Mary's saying how God has shown himself to me in a personal way. And so when you look at verse 46, for example, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's my soul. I'm personally lifting up God. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is sharing from relationship. This is personal to her. She's not talking about a cosmic force. She's not talking about God as a higher power. She's talking about the one true God who she now has experienced and knows and loves and obeys. And she's saying, he's been so good to me. And now she's celebrating in a very personal way this one who is her savior. Now, we can't dodge the theological beacon that's shining right here. We just need to unpack this for a second. When you look at verse 47, where Mary says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, you don't need a savior unless you have sin. How many of you here have sin? Raising of the hand. All right, if you didn't raise your hand, you lied. Now you're a sinner. Okay, validated. (laughs) We all need a Savior. All of us need a Savior, and Christ was the Savior. Why? Because we have sin. But then you have Mary here saying, rejoicing in Christ, her Savior. Some of you know where I'm going right now, because there's a teaching that's taught that Mary was sinless, that there's this perfection in her, and it's tied to the Immaculate Conception. Some of you may not know, maybe you've heard the term Immaculate Conception, and you've always thought that referred to Jesus. It doesn't. It refers to Mary. And it's a belief that came out like in 1854 that basically said that Mary was shielded by God from original sin, that he made her immune to sin so that she would be capable of carrying Christ and protected her from sin. And it's a very noble and honorable concept, but it has zero biblical support. There's no Bible verse that's going to support that passage. There's sort of extrapolations and like, well, if we do this and this and this, then maybe we can get there. But that's not what the Bible says. And then you've got Mary right here affirming that God is her Savior. You don't need a Savior if you have sin. And so Mary's rejoicing. She's grateful for the salvation that's available to her and to the world through this little baby that she carries. And as Mary continues to speak, she said, because she's looking down on her humble servant, there had to be moments in time when Mary felt invisible, where she felt forgotten, where she felt insignificant and and just totally marginalized. 
Moments in that, but here she's rejoicing, saying, I'm not, I'm not invisible to God. I'm not marginalized. I'm not unseen. He's seen my humble state, and he's met me in that place. And then we look at verse 49, where she says, he has done great things for me. He has done great things for me. I want you to just, again, put yourself in that mindset. She's alone. She's got all these things unfolding. Life is spinning. There are things that are wrong right now with this picture, as well as things that are right right now with this picture. And she's in this place, and she's saying, he's done great things for me. She's being thankful. She's being grateful. She's echoing Psalm 9-1, where, she says, I, where, where David says, I will give thanks to the Lord my whole heart. I will give thanks to the Lord my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. And Mary now in this hymn, in this song, in this poem, if you will, is recounting the beauty of God, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, and what he's done in her life, which leads her to the back part of verse 49, which says, I'm filled with joy because of how God has shown himself to me. You see that? He's done great things for me. I'm thankful. And now I'm filled with joy. See, the gratitude preceded the joy. And some of us are missing out on the joy that God has because there's no gratitude. The gratitude has been squashed in our lives. The gratitude has been removed in our lives or marginalized in our lives. And we're seeing here Mary demonstrate, no, you have to start with the gratitude. And the gratitude isn't fixed on the things only that God has done. It's who does it. Mary's not just rejoicing over some things. She's rejoicing over someone. The Magnificat is centered on God. Even though it's Mary's song, if you will, God's the central figure. Every single verse has at least one reference to God. 16 references to God in 10 verses. He's the central figure. And just to illustrate that, just watch these slides with me. We popped it in red. Every time God is mentioned in the Magnificat, right? So first verse, the Lord. Next verse, God my Savior. Next verse, he has looked. Next verse, he who is mighty. Next verse, uh, holy is his name. Next verse, and his mercy. Uh, Next verse, he has shown strength with his arm. He is scattered. Next verse, he has brought. Next verse, he has filled. Next verse, he has sent away. He has helped. He has spoke. God is the central figure of the Magnificat. So who is Mary celebrating and being grateful for? Any, any, Any thoughts? God. God. You can't take him away. And so her gratitude is wrapped up in who God is and then what he has done for her. Guys, that's why so many of us are suffering with the inability to have joy and hope and peace. We've forgotten how to celebrate God and who he is and what he's done in our lives. And Mary's given us an example of what it means. Some of you feel invisible and feel marginalized. Just realize God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. You know, when you think about Mary, like who knows how far along she really was. We think it was early in her pregnancy when she went down to Elizabeth. She didn't really see necessarily God do anything, but he was working even though she didn't see it in the moment. And then he would show these little things to her. Guys, God's working in your life even when you don't see it. And even when you look at your circumstances and, and they're confusing, God could be at work, but you just may not see it. And we want to echo Mary's words here. We want to say, God's done great things for me. You know, I personally know 
when I'm lacking in gratitude. I know when I'm lacking in gratitude because I start to become too focused on me and what I don't have or what I want or what I think I deserve or what I'm not happy about. And it doesn't help that we live in a world so saturated with consumerism, right? Like it's fun, like just yesterday we had out, most of you probably got it too, the newspaper with all the ads, right? So we just got that out. We were having fun looking at it. And then after a while I'm going, man, I sure want a lot of stuff. I don't have a lot of stuff. It's just so easy to all of a sudden be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's fun to dream and think and gifts are cool and fun, but, but what do I have? Am I grateful for what I have or do I'm, am I consumed with only thinking about what I don't have? And unfortunately, we tend to be hyper aware of what we don't have and what we wish we had or what we think God should give us. The other aspect of that is we look at our circumstances. And I just want to say, we know that some of you are going through very difficult circumstances right now. You've lost a loved one. You've lost a job. You've got health issues going on. There's crisis in your marriage. There's crisis in your family. Some of you are navigating very painful, difficult seasons in your life. And we know that Mary had difficulty too. And so we can learn how to be grateful despite the difficulties. Because who God is when he offers you can't be taken even despite those circumstances. You know, we have very difficult but good advice from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He says, give thanks in some circumstances. Oh, wait, I read that wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, give thanks in the good circumstances. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't say that either. Right? Give thanks in, help me out, all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's amazing. Sometimes we're so consumed with like, God, what's your will for my life? What's your will for my life? Like, what do you want me doing? Like, God, what do you have for me? And God's going, well, my will for you <laughs> is that you would actually just give thanks in all your circumstances. Just trust me. Just trust me. And so we know, we know there's plenty wrong in our lives. We know there's plenty wrong around our lives. But what happens is we get so fixated on the wrong that we forget about what's right. And we get mad at God for what's wrong in our lives and we forget to thank him for what's right in our lives. And see, the, 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 the key to our joy in, in when it comes to suffering and circumstances isn't the changing of circumstances. The changing of circumstances might temporarily help, but that's not it. We need God himself. We need God himself. See, Jesus just, just didn't die for us. Jesus came and suffered with us. And so we have a, a God who can relate to the pain that's going on. So the answer to our pain and suffering isn't new circumstances, it's God, and he can't be taken away. And that's how Mary can come to this place going, I'm filled with joy because of God, how God has shown himself to me. And so as we turn this corner into Christmas, and not just for Christmas, and not just for Thanksgiving, but really every day, we got to learn how to be uh, Christ-centered in our gratitude. Because that's where we're going to find the unshakable joy, the unshakable peace, the unshakable hope. But Mary didn't just stop with me. She said, I'm rejoicing for what God has done for me. This is personal. But then she goes on and is rejoicing for what God has made available to all who turn to him. That this, this is available to anyone who would turn. All that she's experiencing in God, the, the presence, the goodness, the faithfulness is available to all who would turn to him. Look at verse 50. She says, God's mercy is for those who fear him. This is God using Mary to say that his mercy is available for others, not just for the people of Israel, not just for Mary, not just for 
you know, people who behave well, but his mercy is available to all who will honor and revere and turn to God. How long is this deal good? <laughs> she says from generation to generation. That basically until God ends this era of time, from one generation to the next, his, his mercy is available to all who will turn. You know why that's such great hope for us? Because when we come to Christ, also we become acutely aware of family members and friends and neighbors and coworkers who just don't know the Lord. And we so badly want them to know this God who loves them. We want to know about the beauty of, of Christmas and the, the coming of Christ and then his, not just his birth, but then his life and his death on the cross and resurrection and then his ascension to heaven and his return is still coming. The advent of Christ is the celebration of his first coming and the anticipation of his second coming, right? And we want those people to know that. And the beauty here is we can celebrate because it's available right now. It's available to all who will turn. And so Mary is, is saying, anyone who can turn to God can have what I've experienced. How does she know that? She basically starts recounting a little bit of a history lesson. She says, man, I've experienced it personally, but then when I look at history, I see how strong God is. And she says right there in verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. She's saying God is strong, God is mighty, and he can do anything. History proves it. Of course, she's probably reflecting even back on a conversation with Gabriel, right? Because in Luke 1, verse 37, when Gabriel was downloading the plan, hey, by the way, you're going to be with child, on and on and on, uh, she was kind of like, oh, just a quick question. I've never been with a guy. How's that going to happen? And Gabriel said to her, with God, nothing is what? Impossible. And now she's basically reciting that God is strong, God is mighty, God's powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. And then she starts to recount that basically with his arm, he's taken out rulers, he's toppled thrones. And you look at history, God can just remove kingdoms at his will, whether it's the pharaohs of Egypt, whether it was Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, whether it was Saul, a disobedient king of Israel, whether it was um, the King Herod, whether it was Satan trying to res uh, erect his own kingdom. God topples any kingdom he wants, and then what he does, he likes to raise up the humble when we're, we're, uh, from places people don't see it coming, right? That's why we look at uh, leaders like Moses and Esther, a guy named Gideon. That's why we look at how God will take an unassuming shepherd boy like David and make him the next king of Israel. And then he takes this little teenager, plain, simple Mary, Jewish first century girl, and end up using her in her humble state to carry the savior of humanity. And so she's coming from the place going, God is so strong. God's so powerful. Nothing's impossible with him. The reason some of you are forgetting why you can be grateful to God is you've made God weak somehow in your mind. And you have forgot that he's a strong God. And he can topple kingdoms and raise up kingdoms. And he can take the marginalized and use them mightily. And he can, he can take influential people and use them mightily as well. And so God is stronger than whatever you're going through. God is stronger than whatever you're going through. And he'll either give you the strength to endure under it and find a way to be grateful in it, knowing that one day it'll be done. Or he'll show up and miraculously resolve a situation. And so we can't give up heart on how strong God is. And Mary was declaring his strength. And she said, basically, the way you need to come to this understanding is through the humility. To come to the Lord with humility, that there's no sense of entitlement. There's no pride. There's no arrogance. 
God fills those who are hungering for him, right? Look at verse 54. She says, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Yes, God does literally feed physically people who are hungry, but this is a deeper hunger. This is a hunger of the soul for relationship with God, for satisfaction in the spirit that earthly and temporary things can't bring. This is an echo of Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9, when we see here, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. God's steadfast love, something that can't be taken away. And we're most grateful for that, right? And for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. And so when the humble come and they say, I've come to the end of myself. I'm done running this race. I need you, God. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm broken. Come to me. That place of humility, we start to see God show up and his power demonstrated. And so Mary's concluding as she's wrapping up her Magnificat here, God's power and then his faithfulness to her people, to Israel and how he speaks and how he's faithful to Israel. Guys, when we look at at Israel, it's just a crazy history of a yo-yo, right? Like a yo-yo would be a great metaphor of Israel. We love God, now we don't love God. We love God, we don't love God. We love God, we don't love God. We're close to God, now we're far from God. We're close to God, we're far from God. And so when Mary says God's faithful to even people of Israel and speaks to them, even though they're kind of like a yo-yo, guess what? We do the same thing, right? Close to God, far from God. Close to God, far from God. Love God, don't love God. Love God, don't love God. And God is still there to speak to us and draw us in. You want to have something to be grateful for? A God who's patient with us. And a God who will always take us back. Like that can't be taken away from you. And so most of our gratitude should be rooted in those understandings. And so the birth of Christ was God giving of the very first Christmas gift to the world's benefit. Mary is celebrating what God did for her, for her benefit, and then she's celebrating what he has done for the world, for its benefit, for our benefit, and that's producing joy in this song, this gift of God. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And our gratitude needs to be wrapped up in the person of that gift, which is Christ. Because only a Christ-centered gratitude will give you an unshakable joy, an unshakable peace, and an unshakable hope. Here's how I want you guys to apply this in a physical, tangible way. Gratitude is contagious. It's contagious in our own spirit, and it's contagious when it goes out from us. And so I want to give you an opportunity just to express your thankfulness to God today. Uh, I'm going to invite you to write three thank you notes this week. Three thank you notes. The first one you can write here before you leave. Uh, In front of you in the chairs, you'll find these praise cards on the back's prayer request. Would you be willing today, during our last worship set, or even now, just to take that out and just give a thank you note to God? We're going to put these in our offering in a little bit. Our offering is a time where we demonstrate our trust to God by the giving of our resources, our investment in God's work through his kingdom. And today, let's add on top of that, just a a thank you to God. God, thank you for your faithfulness. I'm giving an offering of gratitude today. And so you can take that card out and say, thank you, God, for, and you can write down whatever you want, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Some of you are going, ah, you took mine. It's okay, you can rewrite them. That's fine. Write down what you're thankful to God for. And just give that with with a worshipful spirit today saying, God, thank you for who you are and what you've done in my life. And just write something that's personal to that. The second thank you note I would invite you to write is to a family member. Sometimes we 
neglect to show gratitude to the people closest to us. They should receive the most gratitude. And so maybe it's your mom and dad, your, your children, a brother and sister, or a spouse, an extended family member. Uh, maybe God's putting someone on your heart right now. Who could just use the encouragement of a thank you note? And so let God's work of gratitude in your heart start to spill over now. Let it begin with your family. Take a family member. Also, the third thank you note is to a neighbor. We're committed here at CVC of being life houses, to just continue to be ones who demonstrate God's love to those we live with, uh, live around, as well as live with in our family. But uh, we believe that you're where you live on purpose, and the people that live next to you, that God has put those people next to you on purpose. And so just write a thank you note to one of your neighbors. Just use that as a missional way to build a bridge, to connect, and maybe your gratitude would stir something in them and continue to build a bridge to them. And so a lot of you have great thank you cards. You've got a stack of them at the house. Don't uh, let them go to waste. Also, if you don't have one, we've got some that we'll, we'll give to you if you are uh, lacking thank you cards or some at the desk. You can grab these on the way out if you need some. But write a thank you to God and write a thank you to a family member and write a thank you to your neighbor out of really trying to spark the spirit of gratitude as we kick off the Christmas season because tis the season to be grateful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. And Father, your gifts are endless. Lord, your mercy is undeserved. Your grace is undeserved. Your forgiveness is undeserved. But you offer them as a gift to us through Christ. Pray for anyone right now watching online or even here, Lord, that does not know you as Savior, that today you'd even take what I've said, and God, that you would take it and build upon it in their heart, that they would realize they need you. They would come to you as Savior. Lord, uh, for those of us who know you, Father, forgive us. Forgive us for drifting away from gratitude, where the list of things we're unhappy about and dissatisfied with are longer than the things we're grateful for to you and for what you've done. God, continue to spur and build and cultivate a greater sense of gratitude in our heart. Where we know during Christmas time, it's a time where greed and selfishness can really kick in in people's lives. God, we pray that we can push that back through the spirit of gratefulness, Father. So help us be grateful for who you are and what you've done in our lives. God, may we take this not just to our own heart, but to our family, to our friends, and to our neighbors. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen.